0: Do you need to confess your sins to other people? Uh, Recently, a woman at church asked me that question. I've never been taught that I need to confess my sins to others, so why do you keep bringing it up in church? It's a pretty fair question. Some of you, perhaps, were raised with this idea that you have to go through a person like me, a a church leader, a, a priest, or a pastor, in order to be forgiven of your sins. Is that true? According to the Bible no In 1 Timothy chapter 2 it says there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus So if you want to be forgiven of your sins the only person you need to go through is Jesus The Jesus who is there to listen when you pray He's there at night when you confess The Jesus who 2,000 years ago gave his life so that you would have direct access to God. You don't need to come to a place like this or talk to a guy like me to enjoy the love, the mercy, the forgiveness, and the assurance of Jesus. So do you have to confess your sins to others? No. But I still think you should. (laughs) And it's not just me that thinks that. Jesus' brother James wrote a book in the New Testament where he said this. He's actually speaking of pastors coming to your house, and he said, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Have you ever noticed when you don't just talk to God about something, but talk to other people about something, it makes a huge difference? It might be the guilt that you feel over a sin. It might be the struggle that you're dealing with, with your words or in a relationship. Sometimes just talking to another human being has healing power. And that's what James was talking about. So to go to heaven, do you need to confess to your pastor? The answer is no. If you want healing, progress, growth, should you confess to a pastor, a friend, a brother or sister in the faith? Absolutely. So I want to encourage you today to humble yourself. Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And when you humble yourself and talk about the real you, the real story, God exalts you with blessing, with grace, and with love. I hope that helps. And happy time confessing to each other. Uh, Recently, someone asked me a tough question. The question was this How do I have faith in God when unspeakable things happen to His followers? I thought that was an insightful question. Some people wrestle with, you know, how do I have faith in God when unspeakable things happen in the world? But I noticed that this question was a little bit more narrow. So, uh, I repent of my sins. I believe in Jesus. I'm adopted into the family of God. And now bad things happen. And if you know anything about history or about what's happening on the planet right now, unspeakable things happen to Christians themselves. So how do you keep believing in Jesus when that's the case? Now, I thought the timing was fitting. Just this week, I got an email of the top 10 places on our planet where Christians are most persecuted. When trying to talk about Jesus with a 10 year old will get you killed. When converting from the religion of your nation or your family to following Jesus in faith will be such a source of shame that your own family will have to put you to death. Like, that's still happening. And so the question is valid. How do you have faith in Jesus in the midst of that? I think here's the answer. Because Jesus wants you to have faith not for the sake of this life, but for the sake of eternal life. If the only reason the Bible gave you for coming to Jesus was that Jesus will keep you comfortable and happy and safe and everyone will love you he would not have said the things that he said or done the things that he did. Jesus was so little concerned about the easiness of this life. What he wanted for you was eternal life. He wanted you not just to be loved by all the people of this world, but to be loved by God. For not a single sin to get in the way of that relationship. And for God's delight in you, his acceptance of you, to last today, tomorrow, and forever. That's what eternal life is. So how can you believe in Jesus when unspeakable things happen to his followers? Let me tell you what happened in the early church. Soon after Jesus did these great things for us, lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, his friends went out to spread the message and unspeakable things happened to them. They were put to the sword. The religious leaders picked up stones and killed Stephen. They were flogged, tortured, jailed, separated from the ones that they love. Did they lose their faith? Here's what happened in Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. If you only want to follow Jesus to be healthy and wealthy, don't bother. But if you want some really good news that there is eternal life, life that's worth suffering for in the here and now, let me tell you about Jesus. He is the Messiah, the chosen one to take away the sins of the world and to bring people back to God. Believe in him and just like the apostles, you can rejoice even when life is hard because you know there is a life that can't be touched. Eternal life in his name. Is Jesus actually God? That was the straightforward question someone posed to me the other day. Let me read you the actual question verbatim. person said, I have a lot of friends who keep saying that Jesus is lesser than God. He wasn't true God, just a really great guy like Moses and the prophets. What in the Bible shows that Jesus is true God and true man? That's a great question. Uh, If you're like me, People from other religions, Uh, Buddhist people, Jewish people, Muslim people, Hindu people, even atheist or agnostic people, they often love it when Jesus is on their team. I've noticed that. There aren't a ton of people who say, Jesus is dumb. (laughs) Everyone loves to find something in Jesus' teaching so that Jesus is cool with their philosophy. And so I've had to ask that question. Yeah, who, who exactly did Jesus think he was? When you look at the original biographies about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you look at what Jesus did and listen into what Jesus said, is there any clue that he was not just a good prophet, a guru, a guide, but he actually was equal to God? And the answer is yes. You might know that Jesus had 12 apostles. It was like Jesus' small group that spent time with him, lived with him, traveled with him, And one of those 12 apostles was actually part of Jesus' inner circle. His name was John. And John did us the great favor of writing this beautiful biography of Jesus that's filled with so much of what Jesus did and said. And so if you're wrestling with that question, I would just encourage you, you could probably do it in an hour, to read the Gospel of John. Let me help you though with just a few snippets. In John chapter one, verse one, like this is the first sentence. John describes his friend, Jesus, as the Word. Like this communication so we know what's going on in the heart of God. And John writes, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Person asks, is there anything in the Bible that says that Jesus was God? The Word was God. And just you think that John maybe got confused about it? Look at Jesus. Jesus claims to be wiser than the wisest man on earth, Solomon. In the Gospels, he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. He claims to be above human rules. He quotes the Bible and says, now truly I tell you, here's what it means. And when people fell on their faces to worship him, think about this for a second. Let's just assume that I'm the best pastor in the world. Obviously not true. Let's assume I am. Someone comes to church, they fall down here in the lobby and they start to worship me and pray to me and call me their Lord. If I said, well, thank you. <laughs> would I be a good pastor? A good spiritual leader? I'm accepting worship like I'm God? And the answer would be no. That'd be blasphemy. That'd be absurd. But you know what Jesus did? He accepted it. In the Gospels, when when people prayed to him, when they worshiped him, when they treated him like God, he didn't say, no, 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 that's only for my father. He accepted it because the word was God. Let me leave you with my favorite example. In in John, chapter eight, Jesus quotes of himself the sacred Old Testament name of God. Uh, So some of you know, I have a tattoo and in that tattoo is the sacred Hebrew name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. In the Bible, it's often translated as, I am. And in John chapter eight, Jesus was in a fierce debate with these religious teachers because he was not claiming to be just another religious teacher. He was claiming to be the word, to be God. And Jesus starts saying, well, you should believe in me because Abraham believed in me. And they responded in John chapter eight, what? Abraham lived 2000 years ago. You're, You're like not even 40 years old. Like, you were just born. How could Abraham possibly have known you? And do you remember what Jesus says? I tell you the truth before Abraham was even born, I am Yahweh. Abraham believed in Jehovah, and that's me. And the religious leaders picked up stones. John chapter 8 says, to stone him for blasphemy. So, is there any clue in the Bible that Jesus is actually God? John, chapter 1, verse 1. John, chapter 8. The great I Am. Accepting worship. Lord of the Sabbath. Making himself equal to the word. There are a thousand clues that Jesus was not just a good teacher. And isn't that such a good news? Because you and I don't need another teacher. We don't need someone to write the same book to tell us to be better, kinder, more loving, more passionate. We need someone to save us from the times we mess that up. And a good pastor, a spiritual leader, a guru, a guide, they can't do it. They can tell us to try harder, but they can't stand in our place, suffer for our sins, and conquer the grave. Only God can do that. And thankfully, he did. Because Jesus is God. I sometimes don't like telling people that I'm a pastor. I imagine in America, a hundred years ago, pastors didn't feel that way. To be a pastor a hundred years ago, I think, was to be educated, to be respected, to be a community leader because most people in this country thought that that God existed and that church was a good thing. And maybe I don't go as much as I should, but it, it really is helpful for society and culture But have you noticed what I have that this is not that world? Often I'm having great conversations with people and they'll ask, hey, what do you do? And I'm not ashamed of being a Christian and I love our church and I love what I do, but uh, sometimes I get nervous about their reaction. Because these days, church is what? It's the place of judgmental people, hypocritical people, homophobic people, closed-minded people. Bigoted people, that the pastor is just using God and His name and religion to pass the offering plate and and fill his pockets and and get rich, right? Um, Church, by a lot of people in our world, is not considered a good thing, a better thing, a needed thing, or a preferable thing. And I think that's why recently someone asked me this question. Um, They said, "How does a Christian handle life in a world that's increasingly hostile?" So when you're not respected for your faith when you're on Instagram or on Facebook and the values of Jesus and the name of Jesus aren't respected, if your church is being trashed, if you personally are being trashed, how do you deal with that? Here's my answer. Read the Bible. Yeah, I was born in 1980 and I was born into an abnormal culture that favored Christianity And if you think that this favorable Christian culture is just the way that it should be, you're in a whole lot of trouble. You're going to throw a pity party. You're going to pout. You're going to feel like a martyr. You're going to go on the defensive. You're going to whine about all these things happening to you, which is why I want to encourage you, read the Bible. You don't even have to read all the Bible. Just read the Gospels and the Book of Acts, those five books. You could do it today if you put your phone down for an entire day. And what would you find? you'd find a few things. You'd find faithful Christians suffering all the time from the government, from other religious people, from unbelieving neighbors. You would find a small, select, chosen group of people who are close to Jesus. And yet you would find them suffering with hope, with joy, and with faithfulness. Because those early Christians listened to Jesus in Matthew 5, where he said, When people insult you or persecute you, you know what you should do? Rejoice. And be glad. You're suffering because you're connected to the one who gives you eternal life. And the Apostle Peter took that to heart. In, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Don't return evil for evil or insult with insult. They come after you, so you come after them. No. Peter said, Bless them. Love your enemies. Let your light shine. If people see you being kicked and you're celebrating because you know you have Jesus, I would rather be persecuted with Jesus than live a comfortable life without him. So I'm begging you, especially if you're one of those people like me who remembers what it used to be like and now experiences what it is like. Don't pout. Don't close yourself in with like-minded people who are just grumpy on social media. Go into the world, like Jesus said, suffer well, let your light shine, and the people who see you just might notice, and God might just use your faithfulness to add one soul to the kingdom of God. How much money should you give to church? Someone literally asked me that question the other day. (laughs) And I thought, I can't answer that. (laughs) Are you kidding? Do you know what people think about churches and money and pastors like me? Like, I didn't want to touch that question with a thousand foot pole. But I also want to do answer an honest question. And maybe you've wondered it too. Um, Can I answer this question with as much as I can, assuring you that I don't want your money? I don't need your money? I don't want to upgrade my wardrobe. I like wearing the same clothes. (laughs) I don't want a new car, a bigger house. I just want to try to give you a straightforward, biblical answer. Because the person who asked me this question from a sincere heart says, how much should I give? What does God want? What does generosity look like? And then she added, I just don't seem to have a balance and I sometimes give away more than I can realistically afford. So, with an open Bible, how would we answer those questions? Uh, I'd encourage you to start here. Stop making money just a private thing. You know, we have to be careful involving other people with our finances. Uh, Jesus said, don't give and boast about it so everyone knows how generous you are. But we need to balance that with the thought that every part of the Christian life is meant to be done in community. Like when I think about my marriage, um, I don't keep that private. I invite others to encourage me, pray for me, Call me out, rebuke me, because I, I want to grow as a husband. And it's the same thing with generosity. If I was going to send you to a part of the Bible, it would be Second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, two entire chapters about generosity. And you're going to find a lot of great truth in those chapters, but especially this, that the Apostle Paul didn't see giving as something that had to be a secret. He encouraged the Corinthians. He encouraged them to give, to be generous. He used the examples of other Christians. And so maybe, for lots of us, we've never even thought about this in our life, to call a trusted Christian, not to boast, but to say, hey, here's how much I make. Here's how much I give. Here's how much I spend. Here's how much I save. Do you think I'm doing this right? Invite them into your life so that you can grow as a Christian and so that maybe you don't give too much. Now, that might sound like a really unchristian thing to say, right? Didn't that poor widow that Jesus met give everything she had to live on? Is it actually possible that you could give too much to the church, that God would be disappointed in that? That that seems off, doesn't it? But according to Jesus, no. Do you remember that part in the Gospels where Jesus talked about korban? C-O-R-B-A-N? If not, it's a little bit obscure. Jesus once said to the religious leaders that they were giving this offering to the church that they called korban. And because they gave that offering to the church, they were unable to care for their own families. It was almost like they had a limited amount of money and they said, "Ah, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, sorry, brother, I know you're poor, I know you have needs, but I gave all my money to the church. And you know what Jesus said? He rebuked them. He said, why are you giving all this extra money to the church when God, who runs the church, wants the church to take care of people who are in need? So, is it possible that you could give too much to Christian ministries? (laughs) As a guy who's part of a Christian ministry? uh, I want to tell you the answer is yes. Uh, If there are people right in your immediate family, the Bible would tell you again and again and again, care for them. You're not doing an unchristian thing by not just giving more to a Christian ministry. You're doing the thing that Christ did and you're caring for the poor. So, be generous. Some of you have the opposite problem, you're so scared to give, that's another devotion. But for those of you who have, have great hearts, be generous. Be balanced. And the best way to know if you are is bringing other people to speak into that conversation. Together, we can be wise with the incredible amount of money God has put into our hands. So, let's open our Bibles, let's call our friends, and let's live generous, wise, and Christian lives. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Mike. Thanks for listening today. This is actually something else I think you'd really enjoy. And it's our latest podcast from my friend, C.L. Whiteside. Uh, I could gush about C.L. and his gifts and the message he's bringing to the Time of Grace community. But instead, I'm going to let C.L. tell you in his own words what his podcast is all about. Something that's been on my mind has been, when did this cancel culture begin? And people started saying, this person is done. Or they're dead to me and what makes cancel culture intriguing is that if you aren't angry like the majority of people are also angry and you're not saying i'm done listening to them or i actually forgive them you get canceled too so you can't forgive somebody and want to move on and not want to dwell on it your entire life join me cl white tide on my podcast the non-microwave truth search the non-microwave truth wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.